On this episode of Mix and Some Magic, we're doing a deep dive into Adventureland. I'm talking about the history, fun facts, and hidden details inside Adventureland at Disneyland. Hi, I'm Melissa with Mix and Some Magic. I'm a Disney planning expert, and I'm here to mix a little magic into your day. Each week, I share Disney vacation planning tips, park strategies, and a little bit of Disney history sprinkled in. Of course, I like to include lots of Disney magic. Join me. Let's mix in some magic. Welcome! I'm so happy that you're here. I've been like really excited to record this all day. I just like hanging out with you. We're getting ready for the kids to go back to school in a couple of weeks. You probably are too, or maybe your kids are back in school. It's just that time of year. We don't really do back-to-school clothes shopping. I never really understood the idea of buying a whole new wardrobe for my kids right before school starts, probably because we have four kids and it just never seemed doable. So each year we just buy each kid a new outfit, usually a new pair of shoes and maybe like a pair or two of jeans if they need them. And then we just buy new clothes as needed throughout the year, which has worked really well for our family. So we don't have much to do as I mean, by way of back to school shopping, we do have to get all their like school supplies and all the pencils and, you know, 19 different folders and all different colors that each teacher needs, that kind of stuff. We have to do all of that. So we've been starting to slowly get that stuff done, but we're also trying to cram in a few last minute fun summer stuff that we didn't get to somehow in the last two and a half months that have been summer. Now it's like winding down and we're not quite ready. This month is also busy because my website is getting a refresh. I cobbled together my website all by myself a few years ago, and I really don't know what I'm doing at all. I've learned a lot thanks to Google and YouTube tutorials and because of them, I've managed to keep it running. But honestly, it's being held together by prayer and just like dumb luck at this point. And so I'm finally having a professional redo my website and I am so excited. But I'm also a little nervous because I know that my website's not great, but I love it because I worked so hard on it and I'm a little sad to see it change. But it really is time. And overall, I'm excited about it, but it's just one of those things that you're like, oh, that's my baby, but it's not a well-working baby, so <laughs> it's time. I'll let you know when it's done. You can go check it out, but I'm working on like picking out a bunch of different things for it. It's a little overwhelming, but so fun. Do you feel like it's kind of a mad dash to the end of the year once school starts? Because I feel like as soon as school starts... It's just like boom, 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 and then the year's over. Things just get so busy. And we've got birthdays in August and September and our wedding anniversary and Halloween. And then my son is getting married in November, which we're very excited about. And right after that, it's Thanksgiving, and then it's Christmas, and then it's 2024. So I just need time to slow down just a tiny bit. And I must be old because I think only old people say that. But now that it's August, let's talk about what's happening around Disneyland during the month of August. I put this info in on my Instagram. It's on my website. I made a little uh, graphic, I guess you could say, that has all of the ride closures and events happening at Disneyland around August. So I thought I would share it here too. All right, here's a list of ride closures and events that are happening at Disneyland in the month of August. The monorail is closed. It will reopen September 1st. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is closed. It will reopen August 11th. Haunted Mansion is closing, closing August 14th, and it won't open up until September 1st when Halloween officially begins. This happens every single year. Every year I get messages from people who are so upset that Haunted Mansion is closed 
but it happens every year. So it can transform into Haunted Mansion holiday for Halloween and Christmas time. So if Haunted Mansion is super important to you, you're not going to want to go the last two weeks of August because Haunted Mansion is going to be closed every single year. Dumbo's closing just for one day. I don't know why. August 21st, it will be closed. It will reopen August 22nd. Tarzan's Treehouse is still closed for retheming. Who knows when that will open? They've told us 2023, but I don't know. We'll see. Splash Mountain is, of course, closed for retheming and will open as Tiana's Bayou Adventure in late 2024. Toy Story Midway Mania is closed and will reopen August 18th. Redwood Creek Challenge. That's hard to say. Redwood Creek Challenge Trail is closed, reopens August 15th. Radiator Springs Racers closes August 18th and will reopen August 27th. The Animation Academy closes August 21st. No reopening date has been announced for that yet. Sorcerer's Workshop closes August 28th and will reopen on September 7th. And the Golden Zephyr will close 828. August 28th and reopen who knows when they haven't given us a date yet but hopefully we'll get those dates soon so quite a few ride closures happening in August for some reason Disney 100 celebration is also going strong and if you're there towards the end of the month you'll start seeing little holiday items popping up holiday Halloween items popping up all around Disneyland as they start putting up the Halloween decorations. I will be at Disneyland at the end of August and I'm going to be checking an item off my bucket list. I still can't believe this is happening, but I'm joining some friends and we're going to do a VIP tour around Disneyland and I am beyond excited. So if you're not sure what a VIP tour is, I'll be sharing more information about this this in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be exciting. So I'm going to tell you all about it. There's going to be a podcast episode about how much it costs, how it works, what we got, what we got to do, all that kind of stuff. So stay tuned for that. And thank you so much to everyone who entered my 100,000 downloads, $100 Disney gift card giveaway. Is that the title of the giveaway? I don't know. It sounds complicated. But I got to 100,000 downloads on my podcast and I'm giving away a $100 Disney gift card. That's what's happening when I try to say it in a better way. You are all so wonderful. And I wish I could give a $100 Disney gift card to each of you because I appreciate you listening so much. This show would not be possible without you. And I just hope you know how thankful I am that you listen each and every week. It means so much to me and I really appreciate it. The contest is officially closed and the winner of the $100 Disney gift card is Sarah Shumway. So congratulations, Sarah. I will be sending you an email so I can get your information. So keep an eye on your inbox. That email will go out right after I finish recording this. I had a ton of fun with this giveaway and I think we should do it again. So once we hit 200,000 downloads, which really probably won't be very long, then we'll do another one. And maybe that time I'll do two $100 Disney gift cards. That would be fun. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll jump in today's episode. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Mixin' Some Magic. If you're planning a Disney vacation soon, now is the time to get your park tickets because Disney is getting ready to raise their ticket prices. How do I know this? Because they do it every single year. And since the pandemic, Disney has been raising their ticket prices in October, which is just two months away. They could even raise them sooner. We have no idea. Disney doesn't tell us when they're raising prices. We just wake up one day and ticket prices are higher. It's pretty terrible. And don't get stuck paying higher ticket prices. As soon as you know you're going on a Disney vacation, hop over to Getaway Today's website and book your park tickets. It's the very best way to save money because their tickets are always discounted off the gate price so you know you're going to get a great deal. Plus, they have amazing deals on hotels. 
A lot of hotels have great deals like stay three nights, get the fourth night free. Hotels around Disneyland love Getaway Today. They've been working with them since the 90s and they save their best rooms for Getaway Today guests. They often have special perks that other guests don't get when they book directly through the hotel, like free parking and free breakfast, those kinds of things. So you're always going to save money when you book through Getaway Today and you're probably going to wind up with a better hotel room and perks as well. So make sure you check them out. There's a link in my show notes. You can also give them a call at one getaway Tell them Melissa with Mix and Some Magic sent you. And I'm going to put a link with some of my very favorite hotels in the show notes. You can check those out as well. All right, welcome back. I'm excited to do this deep dive into Adventureland. Adventureland opened as one of the original lands at Disneyland in 1955. So there was Adventureland, Frontierland, Fantasyland, Tomorrowland, and technically Main Street USA. Walt Disney had always loved nature and he studied every single issue of National Geographic cover to cover. Before Disneyland ever was, he actually created a series of nature documentaries. And lots of people criticized his nature documentary idea because they thought it would be really boring. Roy, his brother, especially was not excited about the nature documentaries, but they were a huge success. And Walt actually won his first Academy Award for a nature documentary called Seal Island. At that time, there were a ton of popular films in exotic locations because people loved watching adventures taking place in faraway places on the big screen. And with the tremendous tremendous success of his Asian and African nature documentaries, Walt started envisioning a land in his park that would combine elements of the world's jungles and rainforests, offering park guests the chance to like really immerse themselves in these amazing and exotic worlds that they only were able to see on movie screens. So Adventureland was created to bring a different and exciting environment to people who might otherwise never see it. And you have to think about how few people actually traveled internationally in the 1950s. It wasn't easy to get to Asia or Africa, and few people had the means to travel out of the country. And there was no internet or anything like that. So people could only see faraway locations through TVs and movies or in pictures in books and magazines. So the idea that people could show up at Disneyland and visit Adventureland, one of these, you know, like the setting that they'd only really seen in movies was very exciting for people. It's one of the huge draws to Disneyland. Adventureland was intentionally created as a blend of different places rather than a specifically Asian or African theme. So it's intended to not be one specific location. This was so that Disney guests could experience completely unique and magical things. When they set out to create Disneyland, Imagineers knew that they only had about one year to grow a jungle from the cleared lot that used to be an orange grove that Disneyland was going to be built on. And I don't know if any of you have tried to grow anything, but one year is not a lot of time. They needed especially tons and tons of plants and trees for the Jungle Cruise attraction because they had to make it look like a jungle. Jungle's in the name and it has to look the part. Getting plants for Adventureland was one of the very first things that Imagineers did so that they could have at least one full growing season before the park opened. And they couldn't just plant small trees and bushes and seeds. They needed to plant mature trees so that it would look like this jungle had been around for a long time. Lucky for Disney Imagineers, the Santa Ana Freeway was just being built and the head landscaper Bill Evans knew the head of the California Department of Transportation landscape architect and he arranged for Disneyland to receive mature palm trees when they were removed for the freeway construction. So they took those huge palm trees that were going to be removed anyway and they replanted them over at Disneyland. 
And to make sure they had enough big trees, Evans even drove around older neighborhoods and offered to purchase mature trees from homeowners. And actually one very large and hard to find banyan tree came from an estate in Beverly Hills, which is pretty cool. So Bill Evans simulated mangroves by planting salvaged orange trees upside down. And he did a lot of work getting this jungle ready. And after a year, the jungle around the jungle cruise had filled into the point that technicians had to carry machetes to cut through the undergrowth to service the equipment. So that is, I mean, I'd say he did a pretty darn good job. Let's take a little side tangent real quick while we're talking about jungle cruise to talk about jungle cruise a little bit more in depth. In 1951, a movie called The African Queen was released starring Katherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart, and this film heavily inspired the Jungle Cruise attraction. Jungle Cruise is one of the original opening day attractions, which is pretty cool because there were only, I think, 19 opening day attractions, and Jungle Cruise was one of them, and we still have Jungle Cruise today. Originally, Walt Disney wanted live animals, but that would never have worked because, I mean, you've all been to a zoo. The animals don't really stay put where all the guests could see them. So they knew that wasn't going to work fairly quickly. And we already talked about Bill Evans and all the plants he brought into California to help it look like a jungle. So I'm not going to talk more about that, but I hope he got a little bonus added to his paycheck paycheck because he, he knocked it out of the park. The water... In the Jungle Cruise, when you're in the boat, floating along is about five feet deep, and it is dyed the color that it is. I think it's like a greenish-brown color. It's actually gone through a few different colors over the years. It hasn't always been that color. I think originally it was more brown, and then they kind of made it more green over the years. But it's dyed to hide the track that the boats are on and the mechanical components for the animals. It would not look very realistic if you could see through the water to see how the animatronics were actually working. So the water has to be dyed. From 1955 to 1962, The Jungle Cruise wasn't funny at all. It was a documentary-style ride. So the skippers were talking about, you know, like real facts about the animals and real facts about the plants and the Nile River, those kinds of things. So the story goes that one day Walt Disney overheard a child talking to his mother in the park by the Jungle Cruise. And he said, I want to go on the Jungle Cruise. And she said, no, we've already been on the Jungle Cruise. It's boring. Let's go do something else. And that sparked Walt Disney to want to change it a little bit and make it something more fun and more interactive. And so that guests would want to keep coming back time and time again. Is the story true? I don't know. But that's how the story goes. So during the early 60s, Jungle Cruise saw a large expansion with an overhaul of the original Cambodian shrine. And they put in a new scene featuring Indian elephants playing and bathing in the river. And then they got they expanded the area with the pride of lions they added more lions to that and they also added a scene with a pillar of tourists and explorers on top with the rhinos at the base with the sharp horn i think you know what i'm talking about but they added all of that back in the 60s to try to breathe some new life into the jungle cruise and that's when they started adding in the jokes and I can't even imagine Jungle Cruise without jokes. What if you got on the Jungle Cruise and the skipper didn't tell any jokes? That'd be the weirdest. I know. Now, a few years ago, I went on the Walk in Waltz Footsteps tour. It does, They don't have that tour anymore, but they did a few years ago. I got to go on it. It was really great. But on the tour, they told a story about Walt's grandkids. Because if you didn't know... Jungle Cruise backs up to Walt's apartment and the fire station. So if you are at the fire station and you're looking at the trees right behind it, those are the trees for the Jungle Cruise. Everything is really compact into Disneyland. There's not a lot of space. And so Jungle Cruise is right behind 
Walt's apartment. And there is a fence there now, but there didn't used to be. And our tour guide told our tour guide told us that back in the day, then Walt's grandkids would come and stay with him and they would go and play on the jungle cruise. It was like their backyard playground. So they would leave the apartment, they would go play in the jungle cruise and they would hide behind the animatronics. They would jump out and scare guests who were on the ride. And when that happened, then the skippers would have to call on their little walkie talkies or phones, whatever they were using, tell Walt about the situation and he would go and he would get a boat without any guests on it. And he would take it around the Jungle Cruise attraction to collect his grandkids because they weren't supposed to do that. Isn't that a funny story? Can you imagine growing up as one of Walt's grandkids and to be able to say that you used to play in the Jungle Cruise like it was your backyard? So amazing. Well, in 1994, the River Channel was rerouted to make way for the Kew buildings and the entrance courtyard to the Indiana Jones adventure. So the attraction has a different route than it did originally. At that same time, the look of the queue and the boats was changed to more of a 1930s aesthetic to fit into the time frame that Indiana Jones Adventure was going to be in. And in 2010, Disney's Jungle around the Jungle Clues was declared a real jungle because it's now a self-sustaining ecosystem. I thought it was pretty interesting. In 2021, there was a retheming that removed some outdated and negative depictions. And the new theming tells more of a story that you pick up a lot better if you're paying attention in the line. So the story goes that there's a crew of people out on a jungle expedition. There's a skipper, a Mexican painter, a Japanese entomologist, a Canadian botanist, and Puffin Murphy, who is an Irish bird specialist. And you kind of get the idea of the story as you go through the line. They'll have like samples of all the different scientists and artists work. And it kind of talks about them a little bit as you're going through the line. If you're paying attention, you'll pick up on more of that story. And once you're on the ride, you'll see that their camp has been destroyed. And then you'll see the whole team stuck up on the pole with the rhino underneath. And later on the ride, you'll see their sunk jungle cruise boat. It's really fun. So I have a whole episode all about the history and storytelling behind the jungle cruise. It's a great episode. It's got tons of fun information. So make sure you check it out if you haven't listened to it. I'll put a link in my show notes so you can find it. Have you heard of the Dominguez Palm? This tree's story begins back in 1896, almost 60 years before Disneyland's opening. Before Disneyland became Disneyland, the land was home to massive orange groves. And this farmland was a on this farmland was a farm belonging to the Dominguez family, and it stretched across 10 acres, mostly like into, it was kind of in the area where New Orleans Square is today. And the last owner of this farm was Ron Dominguez. And when Disney bought all the orange groves, then Ron Dominguez asked Walt and his Imagineers to spare one tree on the family land. And it was this massive palm tree that was planted in 1896 as a wedding gift to Ron's grandparents. And Disney spared the tree. They did have to move it, but they moved it and they built the jungle cruise boathouse around it. So now if you're looking at the Jungle Cruise boathouse, it's kind of, if you're standing in front of the Jungle Cruise, it's more to the right. Then there is this huge palm tree. You'll recognize it because it's probably the biggest palm tree you've ever seen. And it's so tall. So you can check that out next time you're there. You'll know it's the Dominguez palm when you see it. I promise it's huge. But what I found really interesting about the story is that Ron didn't leave Anaheim after Disneyland arrived and his orange farm was gone. In fact, he started working at Disneyland as a ticket taker on opening day, and he held several positions in the park before working his way up to executive vice president. And Ron retired in 1994 and was honored with a window on Main Street right above the market house, which I thought was pretty, pretty awesome. Now, when Disneyland first opened in 1955, there was just Jungle Cruise attraction in Adventureland and a restaurant called the Pavilion Lanai. That's where the Tropical Hideaway is now. 
The Pavilion Lanai served sandwiches and even poi, which was made from taro roots grown in Adventureland. And you could sit and enjoy island-style music. And it seems like it was a pretty great place to hang out and relax. Then in 1962, Adventureland was being refreshed, the Tiki Room was being added, and the Jungle Cruise was getting its jokes, and they decided that the Pavilion Lanai needed a refresh too. So it was turned into the Tahitian Terrace. And this was a sit-down restaurant. Guests could order Polynesian food. There was entertainment like music and hula dancers and fire dancers. And apparently the show took place under this huge 35-foot tree with a waterfall coming down. And the waterfall would actually part and then the dancers would emerge out of the waterfall. Sounds pretty amazing. The Tahitian Terrace was around until 1993. If I ever visited it, I do not remember but I wish I had because it sounds really cool. It was then replaced by Aladdin's Oasis. Some of you might remember Aladdin's Oasis. There was a dinner show there and it only ran for two years. I never got to go see Aladdin's Oasis. After that, it was canceled and the area just became nothing. Like there was nothing in that little corner. Then finally in 2018, 2018, the Tropical Hideaway was announced. It opened in late 2018. It didn't take them long to transform it. And now it serves Dole Whips and yummy snacks. And it's the only place you can get different flavors of Dole Whips. So if you're getting a Dole Whip by the Tiki Room, you're going to get a pineapple one. If you want a different flavor like raspberry or mango, you're going to have to head over to the Tropical Hideaway to get that. They'll even swirl flavors together for you. It's so good. There's also some great seating, and this is a great place to take a break. It's surrounded by tiki torches, and you've got the jungle cruise going by. It's pretty awesome. Well, like I was saying, when in the 60s, when Adventureland got a refresh, the tiki room was added, and the tiki room was originally supposed to be a restaurant. So plans were drawn up for it, and when Walt saw the cages all around the ceiling with birds inside, he famously said, we can't have real birds, they'll poop in the food. But the designers quickly assured him that real birds were never intended for the restaurant, but that they were going to be animatronic birds. And that's how the idea for the Tiki Room show began. And after a while, as the idea grew, then the restaurant was set aside because Walt thought that people would be too engrossed in the show to want to eat their food. So he's like, let's eliminate the food altogether. The attraction opened on June 23rd, 1963, and was the first audio animatronics technology, and it was a WED Enterprise patented invention, so it was a pretty big deal back at the time, back in the day. The attraction was sponsored by United Airlines for its first 12 years, and then in 1976, it was sponsored, it began being sponsored by Hawaii's Dole Food Company, which is actually still the sponsor today. That's why we get the Dole Whips. It's so great. Um, because it was all animatronics, it was new technology, computers generated most of the show. The animatronics worked because of computers. But I don't know if you remember, computers used to be ginormous, and they generated a significant amount of heat. And because of this, the Tiki Room was the first of the Disneyland's buildings to get air conditioning, which is pretty awesome. And the air conditioning today is still really amazing. If you need a break and it's hot, go to the Tiki Room. By the mid-1990s, the Tiki Room audio system was enhanced. I guess it was time because apparently it was pretty bad. It was still hanging on there from the 60s. But subwoofers were placed in the back row. Modern mid-range speakers and high-range tweeters were placed throughout the room. For the first time, every instrument played in the 1963 recording could be heard clearly, because I guess at the original recording, it was kind of jumbled together. Soon after... The attraction received another alteration, and they took nearly four minutes out of the show. So the original show back in the 60s was 17 minutes and 23 seconds long, and the current show is 12 minutes and 33 seconds long. Another renovation came to the show in the following decade. When the Tiki Room reopened in March of 2005, it had been undergoing a seven-month refurbishment to restore it back to its 
glory for the 50th birthday. And I guess prior to this renovation in 2005, the birds were getting pretty old and their feathers were regularly falling out onto guests. So they fixed that. They spruced up the birds. All the birds got new audio animatronics. I guess the building's roof was starting to fall apart and you could even see part of the sky when you looked up. So they fixed the roof. The audio animatronic figures used to be really noisy and their movements were kind of slow and halting. They fixed all of that and they kind of changed the show and storyline a little bit. Plus they added some of the outside show, the pre-show at the same time. So the audio animatronic figures all look the same as they did in the 60s on the outside, but now their insides are better and work a lot more like they should. The Tiki Room is one of my favorites. I know I say that about everything, but it is maybe one of the most historic places in Disneyland. And although they've revamped things and refreshed how things work, it really hasn't changed much since 1963. Now, if you've been in the Tiki Room, you'll know there's a rainstorm that's created outside the window, and it's actually made using mylar strips with lighting, and it's really amazing. You feel like it, there's actually a rainstorm right outside your window, and when they went to recreate this attraction in Walt Disney World back in 1998, then Imagineers tried to make the effect better. They're like, we're going to use real water. It's going to be amazing but it wasn't nearly as good. Their real water effect didn't turn out as good as the mylar strips and the lighting, so they eventually changed it back, which I thought was so interesting. Let's talk about the Swiss Family Treehouse. Does anyone remember the Swiss Family Treehouse? Because I have fond, fond memories of that from when I was a kid. The Swiss Family Treehouse was added to Adventureland in 1962. And it was added right after the success of the Swiss Family Robinson movie, which I also love. If you haven't watched the Swiss Family Robinson movie, go and check it out. It's on Disney+. Plus. So the tree originally, I think it's still the same height. I'll check into it. But it was 70 feet tall, 80 feet wide, constructed of concrete and reinforced steel. And the attraction weighed 150 tons. The tree is actually given a name. It has an official name, and I'm going to mess it up. It's called the Disney Odendron Semper Florian's Grandis, and that means large, ever-blooming Disney tree. <laughs> the attraction was a walkthrough attraction. It wasn't a ride like some of the others. So visitors had to walk up 68 steps in the trunk of the tree and they would walk through various rooms that were designed to kind of mimic the tree house that is seen in the Swiss Family Robinson movie. And they had items and recreations made it look like there was a salvaged tree house that was a tree house that was made from a shipwreck, a salvaged shipwreck on a desert island. It was pretty awesome. They still have Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse over in Walt Disney World, so you can still check it out. When the attraction originally opened, then the tree had reddish brown leaves. However, they found that the red leaves faded really easily in the sun and weren't looking good, so eventually the leaves were switched to the green ones. Then in February of 1999, Disneyland closed its Swiss Family Treehouse and Imagineers rethemed the attraction to coincide with the Tarzan film that was being released. So the tree got a makeover and it got all new leaves and they added a, sus a suspension bridge and a bunch of interactive features. It was more interactive than the Swiss Family Treehouse had been. It was still 80 feet tall weighed 150 tons, and it opened on June 23rd, 1999. Now, let me go back and tell you again when they closed it. February 1999. So February all the way to June, not very long, just a few months, they transformed it completely into Tarzan's treehouse. Um, we're going to talk about, hold on, just keep that in mind. I'm going to go on. But we're going to talk about that. On September 3rd, 2021, the attraction closed again for refurbishment. 
They had to redo the bridge and some other things. So they closed it in September. And then in November, they announced that it was going to be rethemed and it would reopen sometime in 2023 as the Adventureland Treehouse, inspired by Disney's Swiss family Robinson. So I'm pretty excited about that because I loved the original Swiss Family Robinson treehouse and it's going to be very similar when it reopens. So this is what it says from the Disneyland's website. Playing tribute to the original treehouse that Walt Disney and his Imagineers built in 1962 for the hit movie Swiss Family Robinson, the Adventureland treehouse inspired by Walt Disney's Swiss Family Robinson will return in a fresh new way at Disneyland Park in 2023. The Adventureland treehouse will showcase wondrous new environments created amongst the branches of a giant tree on the shores of the Jungle River, where guests will once again enter by the giant water wheel and follow the wood rope upstairs the wood rope stairways up, up, up into the bows. Here you will find fascinating rooms that the family in this new story created for one another. From the mother's music den and the young son's nature room to the teenage daughter, daughter's astronomer's loft. All things are fashioned from found objects, natural resources, and pure ingenuity. The bottom floor will showcase an ingenious kitchen and dining room along with the father's art studio, displaying hand-drawn sketches and paintings of each of the rooms. Walt Disney's Imagineers are hard at work and delighted to bring this classic back in a fresh way, full of magic, enchantment, and wonder. After all, who wouldn't want to live in a tree in Disneyland? I love it. I love everything about it. I'm super excited about it, but we still don't have an opening date yet. Here we are in August, no opening date. Now keep in mind, how long did it take them to reimagine the Swiss Family Treehouse to Tarzan's Treehouse? It was February to June. They did it so, so fast. And we got word, well, we didn't get word, Tarzan's Treehouse closed on September 3rd, 2021. So they're taking over two years to transform it. It's just a long time. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying that it's a long time. Okay, let's move on. I'm sure we're, we're going to get it someday. They said 2023. We still have time. I think it's going to be great when it does open. I can't wait. Also in 1962, Big Safari Shooting Gallery opened up. That only lasted until 1982. Indiana Jones opened up in 1995. And I'm not going to go into the Indiana Jones attraction on this episode because I've got a Once Upon a Time episode all about Indiana Jones coming soon. So I'm going to talk all about Indiana Jones in that episode soon. Promise. Now, when you're entering Adventureland from Main Street, USA, you may notice the immediate change in atmosphere. The smell of fresh popcorn is gone. You don't hear the band style music. So even before you reach like Enchanted Tiki Room, things change. And that was done intentionally because Walt Disney knew if you're in the jungles, the jungle of whatever country you're not going to be smelling popcorn. There's going to be no band music. It's going to be jungle sounds, no popcorn. And he wanted the theming to be spot on. So you can't buy popcorn. You can't buy churros. You can't buy pretzels. None of those things are happening over in Adventureland, which I think is so fun. It's just the little details that really make a big difference. Now, I want to talk about some hidden gems that you can find when you're walking through Adventureland. Because there's some things that you really might not notice unless someone points them out to you. So I want to talk about that. First thing is the Tiki Room pre-show. A lot of people miss this. So you go into the Tiki Room and you kind of file into this waiting area. It's all outside, but there's all the trees around you and there's some tiki statues and things like that. And before the tiki room opens up its doors and lets you in to sit down, there's a little pre-show that happens. Most people totally miss it. They're sitting there, but they are not paying any attention. They hear, I mean, there's sounds going on, but they don't know that it's part of a pre-show. So pay attention and listen because the, the Tiki Room statues start talking and you'll hear one talking about how they're the god of wind and you'll hear wind and then 
Another one will talk about how it's the god of fire and fire will come up out of a torch near it. And there's one that talks about being the god of water and then a fountain turns on. There's all kinds of fun things that happen. And I especially love this if you're trying to keep your kids entertained for a couple minutes, have them listen and have them follow along with the story and watch to see which tiki statue is being talked about and what happens with them. So pay attention to that. I really like it. Now, when you go into the tiki room as part of the show, Jose, one of the host birds says, whatever happened to Rosita? He says, it's just kind of a throwaway comment. But remember that because in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you what happened to Rosita because I found her in a different part of Adventureland. So I love to sit on the very back row of the Tiki Room because you can lean all the way back. Luckily, all the benches at the Tiki Room have this really, really low back. So you can actually get pretty comfortable. But if possible, go to the very back row so you can really lean back and relax. That's my favorite way to do it. Okay, let's move on to the tropical hideaway. When you're entering the tropical hideaway, look down because on the ground, you're going to see this beautiful mosaic tile creation that's in the shape of a carpet. And this is a remnant of Aladdin's oasis that was there previously that we talked about. But it's really beautiful. It's a fun little throwback to what used to be there. I love that they kept it. Now, once you're inside the tropical hideaway, hopefully you have a Dole Whip in your hand, look up because you're going to see not where they sell the Dole Whips, but where they sell the snacks. You'll see little birdhouses that have the names of all of the Tiki Room birds underneath. So now you know where the Tiki Room birds live. I thought that was super cute. Okay, now I want you, once you're, I mean, we're still over at Tropical Hideaway. If you look towards the water by the Jungle Cruise, you'll see a crate that's labeled bird seed. And sitting on top of that crate is a bird. And she has a little name tag. Her name is Rosita. We found Rosita. I don't know why she's not in the Tiki Room. Maybe she got tired of all that. Maybe she's headed somewhere else. I don't know. But she's over there by Tropical Hideaway. And she has a little hat and a cane nearby, which is actually a throwback to the very original Tiki Room. Because originally, there was an animatronic bird with a hat and cane that was placed near the entrance to the Tiki Room. And the bird was used as kind of a, a barker to attract guests to the Jungle Cruise. So it was out there talking about, not the Jungle Cruise, I don't know why I said Jungle Cruise, to the Tiki Room. It was trying to attract people to the Tiki Room. So it was out there like telling people to come in and check out this really cool attraction, but it actually backfired because people had never seen animatronics before. And all of a sudden, there's this bird that's there talking to you and he looks real and it really backed up the walkways because people wanted to stop and take pictures with the bird and stand and listen to it and it kind of made for traffic flow problems. So the bird didn't last very long. They had to remove it. But I love that they still kept remnants of it with his little hat and cane over in the tropical hideaway. All right, now when you go on the Jungle Cruise... Pay attention to everything in line. We already talked about that, but it really sets the stage and tells the story about what's happening on the Jungle Cruise. And I feel like when you know the story of attractions, then you enjoy the ride more. At least I do personally. I just, I don't know, somehow it makes the ride more enjoyable when you know the reason behind things or that there's actually a story. There's some thought that's put into this. This isn't just a ride. There's actual storytelling that's happening and taking place. That's one of my favorite things about Disneyland. Now, sometimes when you're on the Jungle Cruise, you'll be able to find a hidden Mickey at the camp that the gorillas are ransacking. So there's, you'll come around a corner, there's gorillas everywhere tearing apart this camp. And sometimes there's three pans on the sand that make a hidden Mickey, but sometimes they're not there. And I would love to know who decides. Like, each morning, is there a cast member that's like going around checking things and they're like, today we're doing the hidden Mickeys out of the pan. And then the next day a cast member comes by and he's like, I don't, I'm not feeling it. And he takes the pans away. I don't know who's in charge of that. I don't know. I wish I knew. I, sorry, little rant about the hidden Mickeys, but sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. I always love to look for it. Now, 
Indiana Jones, when you're getting into line, there's a truck that's there. It's a Mercedes diesel truck, which apparently is a very rare kind of truck. That's what they tell me. Um, you can actually almost see this truck better when you're exiting the attractions. You can look for it then too. But this truck was actually used in the film. There's no engine inside anymore, but it was used in the original Indiana Jones movie. So that's pretty cool. So when you see the movie, you're actually seeing the actual car there in line. Now, as you go through the attractions, read all the signs because they all have fun things to say. Like one sign will be, as you're in the line, say, you don't step on the diamond-shaped tiles and so, of course, you want to step on the diamond-shaped tiles and all things like that. So, read the signs. They're very fun. If you have kids, you want to keep them a little busy in line, then ask cast members you're getting in line for a decoder card. Because they have decoder cards that they usually have and that can help you translate some of the messages on the walls, which is pretty fun. One of my very favorite things to do is to pull the rope on the well. So, there's this well when you're in line and there's a big sign that says don't pull the rope there's a rope hanging into it of course you have to pull the rope it tells you not to but you have to and i love what happens whenever you pull it so if you pull it and nothing happens wait two seconds pull it again it's so fun it's one of my favorite things now once you are to the part of the queue where they're showing a pre-show movie that kind of talks about um like the looking into the eyes of Marla, I think. Anyway, there's this little pre-show movie. And once you get to that point, if you look behind you, there's a bunch of rafters up near the ceiling and there's a bunch of stuff up there. It kind of looks like a storage area. But when you get to the front of that room and look back, there's a cast member there. Ask the cast member for help seeing this. They're always really, really happy to show you. But the cast member can shine their flashlight up into that rafter area. And when they do, you'll be able to see a sign with Eeyore on it that's from the parking lot that used to be right where Indiana, the Indiana Jones attraction was. So it's really cool. You can have them shine the light so you can check it out. That's one of my favorite things to do. Now, when you are on the attraction, if you're really fast and have a really good eye, you might be able to see Mr. Bones. Now, Mr. Bones is a skeleton on the attraction, and he is wearing a Mickey Mouse ears, but he's very, very hard to see. And there's been some talk that since the ride was refurbished a few months ago that Mr. Bones has been removed, but I asked cast members on my last visit and they said, nope, he is still there. So they told me he was still there. So when you are on the attraction, the best way to see him is to sit on the very far left. If you're on the right, it's going to be difficult to see, but if you are on the very far left, you'll have a better chance. And once you go into the room that's filled with skeletons, they'll be on the left-hand side turn around and look behind you because he is on the back wall, standing up, Mickey Mouse ears on his head. His name is Mr. Bones. And I actually have seen him up close and personal because we were evacuated off the ride once. And I was so excited to be walking by Mr. Bones and getting a video of him and be able to show everyone. But someone messed up and hit, didn't hit record and thought they were recording. That was me. And so there is no video of Mr. Bones and I'm still a little bitter about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's so sad. All right. Also, before you leave the Indiana Jones attraction area, you have to check out the little man of Disneyland. There's an Indiana Jones sign as you're entering the attraction and there's a tree right next to the sign, but right underneath the sign as part of the tree is a little door that's set into the tree, and that is the little man of Disneyland's house. And we know this because he is in a book called, what's it called? I think it's called The Little Man of Disneyland. And his name is Patrick Bagora, and it talks, this book talks about his story, how he lived in the orange groves, and Mickey Mouse came and bought it and decided to build Disneyland, and Patrick Bagora helps him and ends up living there. So you can see Patrick Bagora. Pretty amazing. So cute. And during the holidays, they put a little wreath on his door. So cute. I love checking that out. 
Okay, now let's walk back over to the bazaar at the back of Adventureland. And then there's the shop called the bazaar. And in the very back corner there, I mean, it's really kind of hidden. It's kind of a dark shadowy corner. Then you will find Aladdin's magic lamp. And it costs, I think, 50 cents to make it work, but you can put it in, make it come to life, put 50 cents in, I mean, make it come to life. And it's pretty fun, especially for your kids. So have them go back there, rub Aladdin's lamp, see if the genie comes out. Also in the bazaar is one of my favorite pressed penny machines. So there's an elephant that presses the pennies. It's really fun. He takes his paws, his feet. I don't know. I wish you could see what I was doing. But he stamps it with his feet and makes it flat. It's very cute. Have to check that out. Now, we can't not talk about Adventureland without talking about Bangle Barbecue. Because I think this is one of the hidden gems at Disneyland and should be included on everyone's quick service list. It's one of my favorite things to eat in the park because it doesn't feel like park food. Because, you know, you get a lot of like french fries and hamburgers and chicken fingers and those kinds of things but this these are meat and vegetable skewers with rice and they have this coleslaw with this citrus vinaigrette on it and I don't like coleslaw well I think I don't like coleslaw with mayonnaise is what it is but I really like this coleslaw with the citrus vinaigrette so good so you feel like you're eating healthy they also have pineapple skewers and breadsticks things like that so definitely check out Bengal barbecue so good now, I did want to mention that Adventureland is so great to rope drop because when most people rope drop, they're going to go to Space Mountain or they're going to go to Rise of the Resistance or they're going to go hit Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Sometimes they'll go to Indiana Jones Adventure, but nobody, nobody goes over to Jungle Cruise. So that's one of my favorite strategies when rope dropping is go hit Jungle Cruise first. And then once you do that, the line has kind of died down from all the people who were rope dropping Indiana Jones. So then you go hit Indiana Jones before the lines get long later in the day. I love rope dropping Adventureland. Well, that is all I have for you with our Adventureland deep dive. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love making these episodes for you. And it just means so much to me that you're here and that you're listening. Thank you so much. If you are looking for more Make Sense of Magic content, you can find it over on Instagram. I share tons of tips and helpful information over there. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. I also have a new YouTube channel and I would love your support over there. So even if you don't watch YouTube videos, if you could go and subscribe, that would really help me out. I would appreciate it. I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. But that's it. I hope you have a great week. I hope you're doing something fun. I hope you're keeping busy, but not too busy. I will be back next week with something new. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk soon.